We begin with the letter A. A is for... M is for murder. E is for... Danger! And, uh... Dodge. With... Monster. Help! Love me and be... Please! Help! Yeah. Welcome to another exciting, intriguing, scary episode of the Is4 podcast. Tonight, I will be your host, the lovable, squeezable monster. And joining me is the always lovely Danger. Say hello, Danger. Hello, Danger. I am not squeezable, evidently. Um, I've, I've been squeezed a few times in my life. Just a uh, good old bear hug. You're squeezable. It just requires a... Be a step ladder because you are above average in height. Okay. Okay. Fine. Sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. My my bear hugs don't require squatting like they do for you. One hundred percent. Yeah. Um. But tonight, and I am really bad about remembering when these episodes come out. But hopefully, this will come out around spooky season because tonight we are discussing the letter V is for vampires. Now, Ooh. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. I've done a few episodes on some classic monsters before, so I thought it would be fun to delve into the history of vampires. Now, Danger, do you have an affinity for vampires? Do you like them? Do you dislike them? Tell me, tell me your thoughts on vampires. Okay, so I have always liked vampires, but a well-written vampire... <laughs> Uh, it, it vampires have been done really, really well, and they've been done really, really bad. You know, Absolutely. we've uh, we've got the Anne Rice vampires, and then we've got the uh, what I'm going to call the uh, Sparkle in the Sun vampires. The <laughs> uh, you know, and and I have trouble thinking of that without hearing uh, the song. I, I can't remember the name of the song, but it's a uh, Blister in the Sun. I think is actually name of it. But yeah, uh, Shimmer in the Sun though. Lips. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't think that's a flaming lips. I'm going to check that, but yeah. So it, so I replace blister with shimmer and the sun <laughs> and the song gets stuck in my head with the wrong word. So anyway, no vampires can be really cool. They can really suck. Oh, I see uh, what you did there. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. But they can be really good. They can be really bad. It It's really all about who's handling the project, the material, you know, and the background, the full story. You know, I think that I was a fan of True Blood, the the show. I thought it was really, really well done. Most of it, not the entire series, but it had some some drops. But that's kind of with any series. But uh, yeah, again, it just really all depends on who is handling it. I agree. I agree. And we will touch on a lot of what you just brought up as we delve into this. So. What I found really interesting as soon as I started to research this topic, because as anybody who has listened to 30 seconds of any episode, people will know that Monster is a huge fan of horror movies and scary shit. And full disclosure, vampires are not one that is at the top of my list. But as I've gotten older and I've watched more stuff, I've come to find a new appreciation for vampires, especially the classic vampires like Dracula and Nosferatu. And we'll get into more of that as, as the episode goes on, but I've always been a big 
zombie guy. I like big, scary monsters. But there's something to be said about the subdued, a little less outlandish monster that is a vampire. And when I started doing the research into this, the origins of the vampire I found were very interesting. And again, to anybody that's listened to an episode or two of this podcast, you'll know I like monsters, I like cryptids, and the vampire, ooh, it fits right in. It fits right in that sweet spot. So I hope you, uh, I hope you enjoy this journey because there's some pretty cool stuff that we're going to talk about here. Yeah, I, I'm actually kind of looking forward to talking about this this topic. I think it's a place to uh, voice where I think vampires have been handled poorly and where they've been handled great and what I think should really be done with the vampire, you know, if that point of topic comes up. Yeah, no, we'll we'll definitely get into that. And because I love a list, I don't know about the rest of you, but I love a list. We will end tonight's episode with Monsters Top 10 Vampire Movie Ranking. Again, as always, it is subjective. Like I just said, I'm a little late to the vampire party. There's some really good vampire movies that I have missed, but it's the top 10 that I came up with. So let's get started here with the origin of the vampire. Legends of vampires have dated all the way back to the prehistoric era, but they were rarely humanoid and had a lot more in common with cryptid creatures than they do with like the Dracula figure that we think of as vampires today. So it was like a prehistoric monster, not necessarily like human caveman vampire. You are 100% correct. Okay. They had, they had more in common with things like the Chupacabra and Bigfoot than they did with Dracula. But the one common factor between the cryptids of the prehistoric era and today is they all survived on drinking the blood of humans. Now, I'm going to tell our listeners to go to Google and Google these things because, okay, number one, I'm going to mispronounce everything a little bit. So it's going to be like me with Japanese names. Yes. Okay. And number two, I can't even fully describe exactly how these things look but if you go to youtube and you go to google you can find some uh some images of this and they're pretty cool so some of the early examples of vampires from mesopotamia there was the lamishtu which had the head of a lion and the body of a donkey i would expect there there to be a lamb in there somewhere (laughs) that would be the middle ground between the two Yes. Another example is from ancient Greece. This was a creature known as the Strigis that were blood-sucking birds. By chance, by chance, is there a bat in here anywhere? Okay, all right. See, you're getting silly. This is serious shit. Not getting silly. The bat is part of the vampire mythos. And so, you know... But I will let you walk us down the Greek road of uh, prehistoric, whatever, just your creatures, your vampire creatures. We will get to the bat soon, okay? 
hold your Bats? I hesitate to say horses. <laughs> yeah. Hold hold I'll hold my bat horses. How's that? Yes, yes. My horse um, bat. So there's another one from the Philippines called the Oh boy. The You can man, do it. Uh, you can do it. Come on. Man Man bear pig. Okay. <laughs> Close enough. Um this one's pretty cool. This is, was a woman who could split her body in half at the waist and sprout huge bat-like wings. I thought I was um, being silly with my bats. No, no, no. Let me clarify in case anyone's having trouble visualizing this. They split at the waist, meaning legs, torso, and upper body, not the other way. So, and like horizontal, not vertical. Yes. Thank okay. you. I didn't have vertical in mind. I, I had horizontal. But ask you a question and you probably don't know the answer to this and this is fine. So splits at the waist grows wings takes off. Does it remember where it left its legs? Okay. Okay. The legs don't detach. It's split. They're still attached. It's still one entity. It's just split open. So the legs become the wings. Oh, no, that's what I was trying to explain. It splits in half, but it doesn't. You know what? You know what? If you're not going to take this topic seriously, we're going to have a bad time. I'm I'm listening. I am engaging. I am. (laughs) I am trying to be a part of this world that you are creating of the Filipino bat leg lady. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. My personal favorite was the Pinagalan from Malaysia. The Pinagalan? No, I'm just Probably. I'm, I'm clarifying. Pinagalan. Okay. You want me to spell it for you? No, no, that's fine. But the Pinagalan. Okay. Did the Pinagalan start the Pentecostal church? <laughs> oh my God. No. The Pinagalan was essentially a bloating woman's head. With dangling entrails. <laughs> cool. Could you imagine like going for a walk and seeing that fly by? <laughs> Just like women, woman's head with entrails. Yes. That sucks blood from humans. I don't know. I feel like that was an episode of Futurama at some point. Something similar to that. I thought you were going to bring up an ex-girlfriend or something. No, no. I, uh. <laughs> No, my my all my ex girlfriends neither flew nor had their entrails exposed, and they probably had a a, a lower body. Attached. Yes, yeah, yeah. That was uh that was part of the appeal of the whole thing. <laughs> okay, so Slavic folklore from the 11th century is where the word vampire first appeared. It was the Slavic word upir. It actually predates Christianity and withstood the church's attempts to remove all pagan beliefs. So, wait, the Upir withstood? What? Yes. Okay. Yes. So even before the gospel became prevalent, there were stories of Upir, or vampires, already being passed around. So just like uh, local myths, or uh, I guess you don't really know if there was actual accounts of them, but you know. Okay, we'll get into that. 
So basically, the original folklore or story of the vampire stems from a very specific situation that happened all the time. The symptoms of rabies or the characteristics of a decomposing corpse could all be interpreted as vampirism. The decomposing part is the the most interesting thing here. People would dig up a casket to find a person inside with long hair and fingernails. And due to the buildup of gases in the stomach, the corpse would look bloated and have blood trickling out of the corners of its mouth, hence giving the impression of just sucked blood. When uh, a corpse is buried, the fingernails and the hair continue to grow for a short period of time. So imagine, you know, wanting to check on a corpse for whatever reason, and then you see the nails are still growing, the hair is still growing, fresh blood is on the lips. It appears as if this entity could have gotten up and had been sucking blood. Okay, so after it's buried, I don't feel like we need to go back and look. Like we know the situation; it's it's in the ground. I I mean, I don't. I feel like there would be some steps beforehand to not feel the need to go back and check to see if the corpse is dead still, or if maybe like, hey, uh, Grandma was just taking a a good nap <laughs> and just you know she couldn't uh, she couldn't wait just didn't wake up to Grandma get up. Somebody's got your worthers. And, you know, I don't feel like there's much of a reason to go back and check on this corpse that's in the ground. Back in those days, the understanding of medicine and medical diagnosis were very naive. And people, especially the doctors at the time, didn't fully understand what the human body was undergoing. And there were cases of bodies being buried because they were showing the signs of death or they were unresponsive, but they buried them with little bells that came up out of the ground because the body might, in their perspective, reanimate, but they weren't fully dead. They were just half dead. Coma. Okay. Yeah, well, they were in a coma. They were brain dead. They were whatever the symptoms may be but they weren't fully dead. So they would come back and they had those bells that were above surface. So the grave digger would hear the bell ring and they would know to go check on the corpse. In other cases, they would just go and check on the corpse to make sure. And that's when they would find the, the, the bodies. Like I said, the nails growing, the hair growing, the blood coming out of their mouths to give the impression of vampires. Could you imagine being one of the corpses or one of the bodies, the people that died and quote unquote died. And like, you just were taking a good, hard, long nap. Then you just wake up in a dark box. You can't move. And it's just this, like this wire is hanging out, like just sticking in the box. And then a little while later, given the part of the world it's in, you like the box would get like pulled up. You're just like, thrown around like a pizza that's been dropped off a shelf in a box and you you like the box opens up and who is it it's johan who's johan you don't know because you don't know the grave digger you're just a guy that was just trying to lay down and take a nap because the factory is no fun and again the part of the world they're in the king is oppressing 
And life's hard. Life's hard. But you know what makes it harder? Waking up in a damn box. What I think is really funny is the dichotomy between the peril and the anxiety you're feeling being trapped in a box, buried alive, versus the sound a pretty little bell makes when you're ringing it to let people know you're still alive. That's assuming you can hear the bell that is on the (laughs) other side of the box lid. And I assume six feet underground, or maybe this is when they found out that you needed to bury body six feet down. Uh, And uh, so you just, maybe you might hear a faint jingle, but you probably don't really hear it because you're screaming (laughs) to get out of this damn box. (laughs) Exactly. You're having existential crises screaming your lungs out. Please, God, somebody hear me. And all they hear on the surface is tink, 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 tink. Yeah. So I feel like there's actually two types types of people in this world. One, the person that would wake up and do that. Or two, the person that would wake up and go, the kids are gone. I'm, there's nobody around. I'm just going to hang out here for a while. <laughs> we are, we are speaking from a position of parenthood. Yes. As dads who have children. Um, That's usually what parenthood is, but go on. To our listen, Well, to our <laughs> listeners who don't have kids, you don't understand how waking up in a box to pure silence in a dark, cool space is actually kind of appealing. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be mad. But go on. Back oh. to your umpire. <laughs> so, all right. Um, don't interrupt me here because you're kind of a jackass, but I want to finish this paragraph. That's fair. Um, go on. The first time the word vampire appears in English was around 1730. Uh, there was a few books published around this time, The Vampire by John William Polidori in 1819, and Carmela by Joseph Sheridan Lafayette in 1872. I want the French names. I'm tired of picking the Japanese names. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not a smart guy, but when I say a name like Joseph Sheridan yeah, I sound kind of cool. Um, Fair. However, and I think you will agree with me, the most well-known and influential is the book from 1897, Dracula, by mm-hmm. Abraham Bram Stoker. Now, have you ever read Bram Stoker's Dracula? No. Okay. So, not even not even going to lie and say I have and try to fake my way through the conversation. Nope. I appreciate that. That's that's good. So over the past few years, honestly, this is kind of a new thing. Uh, being a big horror guy, I love horror movies. And I've been trying to dip my toes into other horror media. And one of the big ones was literature. I've always been a fan of Clyde Barker. I've always been a fan of Stephen King. You can go back and listen to some previous episodes to hear some more about that. But part of that was I read the original Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and Bram Stoker's Dracula. And I will say Bram Stoker's Dracula is really, really good. It's very creepy. And if you have trouble with, uh, when did I say 1847? So, uh, 18th century, 19th century literature. 
there's going to be some some wording that is a little bit tricky to follow, but it sets an atmosphere and a mood that is very unsettling. There isn't, it, it's not like a modern day horror novel where there's things that jump out at, jump out at you and there's blood and gore and all that kind of stuff, but it is very creepy and the atmosphere it sets is very strong. And if you like literature and you like reading, Bram Stoker's Dracula is really, really solid. Sure. I'll put it on the list. I would recommend it, along with Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. That's a quick read. I know I read that back in high school. Yes, both of those are relatively short. In fact, Dracula is written mostly through diary entries. So it's usually like you can pick it up and read a couple pages and set it down and come back a day or two later and and you can pick up. It's not hard to read, for sure. Okay. So when doing the research in this, though, I found out a little bit more about Bram Stoker himself. He apparently had some strange disease that left him bedridden until the age of seven. During this time, his mother would often sit by his bedside and tell him folk stories, and he, she liked to tell him horror stories, a lot of times from her own experiences. Stoker would take this into his adulthood and write all kinds of stories in several different genres. But Dracula, I think, is by far his most popular work. It's Um, what I know his name from. Yeah, I mean, Bram Stoker's Dracula is kind of a, you know, because of the film and everything else, I think people associate him with that. But what's interesting is Stoker started work on the novel in 1890, but he didn't come up with the name Dracula until much later. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of people believe that Vlad the Third Dracula, better known as Vlad the Impaler, yep. is where uh, Dracula got his name from. But it, it seems to be that Stoker probably took the name from some characters from some Victorian era dramas that he would have gone and seen back in those days. Okay. Uh, he read a lot of folklore, uh, literature that involved werewolves, ship logs, and again, the Victorian theater, which he put all of that into his, his Dracula novel, which again, like I, I brought up earlier, the concept of a vampire versus what Bram Stoker introduced as Dracula, the quote-unquote vampire, they're not always one-to-one. There's a little bit of differentiation. I'm trying not so, to interrupt. <laughs> and No, no, now <laughs> you can interrupt. I, okay. I, wanted, I wanted to read the paragraph about Bram Stoker before you interjected, but okay. now... I'm I'm about to get into the characteristics of a vampire versus the Bram Stoker Dracula vampire. So if you want to bring up something now, you you have the opportunity. I I will allow it. Oh well, thank you, thank you, gracious host, thank you. <laughs> did you know you were attending a lecture tonight? No, no, I did not. I I did not. And thank you for informing me now because it's just. It's like the kind of lecture that you don't even realize that you're sitting in. 
Welcome to B is Back to the Future. Well, I will tell you I, all about time travel. You know what? <laughs> I it, it B is for failure in in my world because um it's uh because because that was not a successful episode. But this is an audio medium, so no one will have seen this. I almost had beer come out of my nose because no, that is a that clip. That's Thank a clip you. that I'm going to put on 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 the YouTube. So, please do, please. Okay, do. I'm. Uh, okay, so one of the questions I have, you're about to talk about the characteristics of. So you may be getting into this, you may not, but I have always been curious, and if you have some insight to it, that'd be great. A vampire has fangs, right? Pretty much, yeah. Except for in Twilight, um, a vampire has fangs, and depending on which thing it's watching it uh, which thing you're watching which movie or whatever it's in different teeth in the in the front sometimes it's extra teeth and sometimes it's you know just that uh, was a front i don't know anyway do vampires use those teeth to puncture and then drink through those teeth or do they use those teeth to cut puncture then causing blood to come out and then drink that blood your lack of answer tells me you don't know well I've never I've I've heard this question before and no I did not necessarily come come up with a definitive answer in my research. This is a place where but, people come to learn. No, they don't come here to learn. I if you've come here to learn, <laughs> I, it's like going to a candy store to get your daily nutrition. It's uh, it's probably if, not a good idea. If you come here to learn, you are not studying properly. <laughs> <laughs> um from what I have discovered I get the impression that the fangs that bite into the body yes. puncture the skin and then just through whatever oral or throat <laughs> I don't know the right terminology but whatever the mouth and throat do suck the blood down. There's not like blood comes up through the fangs. Like that's that doesn't make any sense. I'm just asking the question, and so uh, the fangs puncture and then throat thing. That's what I'm going with. Fang puncture. Jesus. <laughs> Frang. <laughs> the fangs puncture. The throat swallows. You do good words. Please cut that out. Add it to some video that is, this is not. <laughs> this is your episode to edit. I'm just going to edit the video. Okay, I'm going to cut all that out. All right, go Okay, on. <laughs> so here are some characteristics of vampires. They have pointy teeth yes. and pointy nails. Okay. They can turn people that they bite into the undead. Okay. They are vulnerable to garlic and wooden stakes to the heart. Most people would be vulnerable to a wooden stick to the heart, but go on. So um, we, we've had this discussion before, but obviously I don't know exactly when this will come out, but we are uh, recording this right before Halloween. Now is a great time to watch the Treehouse of Horror episodes of The Simpsons. And there is a great parody of Dracula where Mr. Burns is Dracula and Homer goes to kill him. And Lisa says, you got to drive a stake through his heart. So they show Homer hammering the stake into him. And Lisa yells, 
no, no, the heart. That's the crotch. And Homer's like, oh, oh, yeah. And then he moves it up to the heart and Mr. Burns immediately dies. So one of my favorite stake to the heart scenes in any vampire movie was actually in Dracula Dead and Loving It. Uh, I believe, yeah, Liam Neeson's playing the vampire. And so they get to the coffin and they go to put the stake in and they go to hammer it and you get a gush of blood like Johnny Depp's death in Nightmare on Elm Street. Just this huge, like, (laughs) gush of blood up. It was fantastic. I loved it. Uh, If I remember, they went back a couple times. I got to go back and watch it. I haven't watched that in years, but I love that movie. But go on. I remember it came on TNT a lot around Halloween. So full disclosure, and I mentioned earlier at the top of this episode that I was going to have a top 10 vampire movies. As much as I love the classic monsters and I love Mel Brooks parodies, I have never seen Dracula Dead and Loving It. Fantastic movie. Fantastic movie. I'm going to tell you that you should watch it, but you already know that you should. You know, you, I know I should. I know I've said this in past episodes. I think I said it in an episode where, uh, uh, in the VR episode where you were talking about where you were playing uh, Resident Evil VR in the dark. Um, so I'm going to take a statement from then and put it here. Some of us are better at making bad decisions than others. I fail to see how that is applicable to this conversation. No, because it was a bad decision for you to have never watched that movie. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I got sorry. there. Okay. I, I didn't, I didn't realize I was going to have to lay it all out for you, but go on, go on. I appreciate you doing that. I, and, I'm a friend. Uh, no, I'm a friend. And, and I concur. I concur. <laughs> it is on the list. Okay. Um, and as silly as that sounds like in the movie, death proof and stuntman Mike says he has a book where he actually records this stuff. I have a list. I have a list of several movies that I need to watch. And it is sad that I have not watched them. And Dracula Dead and Loving It, uh, Dead and Loving it is very near the top because Young Frankenstein is possibly my favorite Mel Brooks film. It is, it is 100% in the top three, and I absolutely love it. And as much as I love the original Dracula, and we'll get there, I, I'm sure that I would love the parody, but yeah. I, just, I just haven't seen it yet. It's a great one. It's a great one. So when we think about vampires, a lot of the lore that we associate actually comes from Bram Stoker's Dracula novel. These include that makes sense. A fear, yeah. These include a fear of crucifixes, vulnerable to sunlight, no reflection in a mirror, doesn't eat or drink anything other than blood, can see in the dark, the ability to shapeshift into a bat or a wolf or even mist. All of that came with Bram Stoker's Dracula. I mean, I think it speaks for for the book because, I mean, he wrote a book and then established all of these rules for Dracula, for vampires from then on out. What's really interesting about this, and again, in 2022, thinking about what happened in the 1870s and early 1900s, it's hard to really kind of wrap your head around it. But when Dracula was first published, it was met with little success. It didn't really take off until the adaptation started. The first, most notably, was the 1922 
silent film Nosferatu. And when Have was the book? When when was the book published? Eighteen ninety seven. Okay, so he was more than likely still around. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, oh, yeah. and and I have an interesting thing about this. But have you ever seen the silent film Nosferatu? Not in its entirety. Um, and I think part of that just has to do with my with uh, my having uh, suffered from ADD my entire life and not being able to stay on course with it. I have seen a good chunk of it. It's been something that I've put on in the background and. I can't say that I put it on for background noise because it's a silent film, but <laughs> I, you know, it just, it's on and I'm, you know, going around the house doing stuff and, you know, check out certain parts of it all. But no, I've never actually watched it from beginning to end. I've only seen a few silent films and as much as I like movies from the twenties and thirties, I do like sound. I do. Yeah. I like a slow burn black and white film, but I do like a score and actual dialogue. But I've seen a few silent films, and the thing about Nosferatu is it has some very striking images. Um, oh, yeah. Max Schreck, who plays the vampire, does a phenomenal job. He is an incredible actor and portrays a lot. I will highly suggest, if anybody's interested in going back and watching this, watch it. Do not watch the color-corrected version. Basically, what they did was the the film is kind of like a sepia, kind of like a yellow and black kind of vibe. But the color corrected version puts like a bright color over the daytime scenes, a dark blue over the nighttime scenes. And it, it just looks silly. Don't do that. I believe they're it, remaking it. Yes. Yeah, so uh, Robert Eggers, who did The Witch and The Lighthouse, is doing a remake of it. Originally, it was going to be Willem Dafoe, but now uh, I believe it's going to be Bill Skarsgård, who played Pennywise in the remake of It, is going to play Count Orlock, the villain, Dracula character. Yeah. Yeah. I and I mean, I think Skarsgård could do a great job, but I think Willem Dafoe, just that guy without makeup on, <laughs> could do it. You know, absolutely. And as much as I love the remake of it, I don't know. I, I was kind of hype on Defoe playing Count Orlock. I think Skarsgård will still do a great job. I think Eggers is a great director. He has a very pure vision. And I think if anybody was going to take this, he he's going to do a Put it this way. When we talk about remakes and reboots, my biggest thing is respect for the source material. Yep. And if you have a love and respect for the source material, I'm willing to accept a certain amount of deviation. And I think Eggers is that kind of guy. Like, I think he is going... I, I have a feeling he would not remake this film if he didn't love the source material. So I feel like he will do a great job. Yep. So back to the Nosferatu thing. This is really interesting, and I didn't know any of this until I did the research. The film Nosferatu came out in 1922. It was basically Stoker's novel verbatim, minus a couple of name changes. But they didn't pay royalties and did not get permission from Stoker's estate. So the studio was actually sued into bankruptcy 
Stoker's widow actually tried to have the film removed from the public because she claimed it was plagiarism. Okay. This only added to the popularity of the film. As expected. And however, exactly. Uh, Stoker's widow eventually sold the rights to a stage play. The play made, obviously, several cuts to the, the full-length novel, but it became very famous and very well-known in large parts due to the portrayal of Dracula by the one and only. And if you could see me or now, I would have bright red hearts in my eyes. Dracula was played by the magnificent Bella Lugosi. Ah, uh, yes, your love for Bella Lugosi. Oh, it runs deep. Oh, I know you love some Bella. And, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I was trying to think of who else. Who is it that's, uh, played, uh, oh, Frankenstein? I what? Oh, Boris Karloff. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just couldn't think of well, the name. Well, Boris Karloff plays Frankenstein's monster. Right, right, right. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to step on your 1930s monster movie toast. Yes, do not disrespect me in this way. So, so I'll do it a different all, way. <laughs> because of the popularity of the stage production, uh, in 1931 came the film adaptation of the novel and the play Dracula. It was directed by Todd Browning, obviously still starring Bella Lugosi, and Dwight Fry. And if I can take a side note real quick, Dwight Fry appears in a lot of these Universal Monster pictures. And in You is for Universal Monsters, I gushed over Dwight Fry for a while. But Dwight Fry plays Renfield, who is possibly the most interesting character in almost all of these Universal Monster films. Again, if you don't like black and white films, if you don't like slow burn kind of movies, you're not going to like this kind of stuff. But the original 1931 Dracula is a masterpiece. It is beautiful to look at. The score is sparse but unsettling. The performances are great. It's like watching a stage play. Bela Lugosi as Dracula and Dwight Fry as Renfield are master classes in acting personified. I would highly recommend watching this if you've never seen it. Okay. I think I have, but I don't, I've seen a lot of movies. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So moving into more modern day, again, I have gushed over my love for zombie cinema. The vampire has been used very similarly as the zombie, as a metaphor for Capitalism. different social issues. Yeah. In fact, and we'll get to there in a minute, the zombie has, or excuse me, the vampire has often been used almost the exact same way as the zombie as a unquenchable monster. Yep. And uh, it's not necessarily, I've never seen it necessarily as an unquenchable monster. I've always kind of seen the vampire as a a monster that will eat and then be okay and then eat again. And I can't tell if it's once, twice, or three times a lady or a day. And I've never seen it as like just the mindless eating machine that a zombie is. 
the vampire does its thing and then enjoys life from what I've been able to tell from movies. Not haven't read much uh, vampire literature, so I'm not going to speak to to that part of the world. If there was an award for the best segwayer in podcast history, Danger, you would take the cake. Okay. I I in unintentionally segue. I can make the segues way more awkward if you want, but <laughs> you know. So, like I mentioned at the top of this episode, the vampire was often seen as like a big brutish monster. It wasn't until the 20s and 30s when Bram Stoker's novel Dracula, Nosferatu, Bela Lugosi's personification of Dracula came to the, the pop culture zeitgeist that the vampire was seen as like debonair and suave and sexy. And you see this all through the 60s and in other forms of cinema and literature as well a lot of times the vampire was seen almost like a zombie where they were just a blood-sucking freak they weren't a well-spoken well-educated debonair personification they were an animal and a great example of this is richard matheson's novel i am legend yeah stephen king clive barker Tremblay couple more, and then Matheson. He is absolutely in my top 10 favorite authors. He's written a lot of really, really interesting horror and sci-fi that really makes you think. And his, his book, I Am Legend, it's been extremely influential. It's been made into three films. Obviously, the I Am Legend with Will Smith, the Omega Man with Charlton Heston, and my personal favorite out of all three of these, The Last Man on Earth, starring Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. And these vampires are basically shown like mindless zombies. Yeah. Um, and we'll get into this here in a second. But The Last Man on Earth came out in 1964, four years before Night of the Living Dead. And a lot of people seem to think that... Ramiro borrowed a lot of the aesthetic and concept behind that film for Night of the Living Dead. Wouldn't surprise me if he was at least influenced by the idea. And if you've never seen Last Man on Earth, I would highly recommend it. And and we'll we'll touch on it a little bit more here in a minute. But it is so good. Even if you have just a passing knowledge of Vincent Price and what he did in film, especially in like horror cinema, it is a a tour de force. It is mostly Vincent Price by himself defending his livelihood against these blood-sucking vampires. You, You never get bored. Like You are totally invested. You're totally on board. You're totally rooting for him. And it just goes to show you that, like, Vincent Price is known as being a quote-unquote horror actor, but even when he's in a horror film as a straight man, you root for him because he's such a talented person. I don't think Vincent Price gets the acknowledgement that he deserves because he's known as kind of just this horror guy. 
but he is a damn fine actor and no better example of that is than uh last man on earth for sure okay so moving forward you brought this up recently within the past few years vampires have kind of gone back and forth between animalistic monsters and suave sexy individuals Mm -hmm. and within the past 20 30 years the suave sexy vampire has definitely been the more popular version it's because of anne rice exactly anne rice is the biggest reason for that anne rice and tom cruise (laughs) tom cruise but more specifically stephanie meyer anne rice Interview with the Vampire, Queen of the Damned, several more novels, but those were the two that were adapted in the film. And then Stephanie Meyer, who, of course, is the author behind the Twilight series. Have you, and hey, judgment-free zone, brother, you be honest here. Have you seen any of the Twilight films? Okay, so I was dating a girl when the first one came out, and... She okay. Here and, we go. Here and, we go. And she loved the the Twilight the Twilight books. And you know, before the movie came out, I said, "Okay, you'll love them so much. I will read one of the books. I will. I'll, I'll read the first book and and give it my all." And evidently, my all was not enough to get through that trash. I took her to go see it opening night. I just could not do the book. Couldn't do it. But I took her to go see it opening night and. I don't know if you've ever looked at how much empty space actually exists in a movie theater, but the theater is quiet watching the movie and it's fine. Everything's okay. I remember we ended up sitting up kind of close to the, uh, to the screen because uh, we got there later or whatever. And then all of a sudden, uh, uh, what's this uh, sparkle fart walks on screen and, (laughs) and it's like the entire void of empty space just filled with teenage pheromones <laughs> and <laughs> it was almost suffocating it was just it was a bad movie i i saw the first one i i tried to go back and watch it because i she and i ended up living together and she loved it so much she wanted to buy it i bought it for her the day it came out because i try to be that kind of a guy and then it got played in our apartment constantly i tried to watch <laughs> it a second time felt the same way third time same way and i've never revisited after that wow so you tried three times i gave it uh like if i'd say the old college try but i like i failed out of college several times and kept going back trying again so full disclosure me danger and sarge all have women in our lives that fully support what we do and are big cheerleaders and try to root us on with this. My wife only listens to episodes that kind of pertain to something she might be interested in. So I'm like 75% sure she ain't going to listen to this shit. So full disclosure, here's a little side <laughs> side story. Um, <laughs> kind of like what you were saying about Twilight. My wife, uh, expressed a slight interest in the Fifty Shades of Grey series. So, being the romantic that I am, 
I thought it would be cool to buy the at the time it was a it was a trilogy and there were three books. I didn't and know I there thought, were more than three. So I think there's four or five now. Are they Actually, gonna end up getting up to fifty? Okay, see no, don't 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 do that. Um I <laughs> I don't I, <laughs> continue. But I have I have the first three and I thought, you know what? Okay, I, you know, I like to read. My wife likes this kind of stuff, but she she doesn't like to read necessarily. She doesn't have a lot of free time, and I was like, I could, we could read these novels together, and you know, maybe we'll see where it goes. That was a poor choice. I got about halfway through the first one, and I must have read the phrase "her breath hitched" probably (laughs) twenty five times. In about 150 pages. And I said, I quit. I give up. This is the stupidest shit I've ever read in my life. Look, if you want to write a romance novel, write a romance novel. Anne Rice, if you want to write a romance novel with vampires, do it. Stephanie Meyer, same thing. But be creative. Try different words. Even my wife was like, no. No, this is dumb. We're wasting our time. Let's okay, so I would say Fifty Shades of Grey is not Twilight, but Fifty Shades of Grey is started as Twilight fan fiction. So, okay, fine. Did it? It did actually. Um, okay, I think yeah. I think I've heard that too. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's just it's terrible writing. It, it's just terrible writing. Uh, I, I understand you sold a lot of books, but guess what? People like things that are easy to read, and those are the things that are going to sell the most to the mass public of people that are not readers. Now, are there people that are readers that like those books? Yeah, sure. Sure. My fiance, she's one. She devoured all of those books. And part of it was because they were out when she was having to get up at night and feed the kids and stuff when they were babies. And, you know, so it just filled the time. But, you know, if people want to enjoy those books, those books, sure, go, go for it. I will not be joining your ranks. You know, we thought it would be fun to read them. And nope, nope, I did not think it was going to nope. be fun. Nope, nope, I did not. I did it. I, I read the books. I went and saw the movie. I've watched uh, Twilight multiple times just for a girl. <laughs> that was it. That that was purely it. And was it worth it? No. Was she worth it? No. I, I will say that I did. Uh, I did watch uh, about the first half of the Fifty Shades of Grey movie, and I wanted to Fifty Shades to shoot myself. I have seen uh, all three Fifty Shades of Grey films in theaters, but that's <laughs> let's move on. Um, you paid money for that experience. Go on, go on. Actually, actually, I didn't, but that's a that's a story for another day. So, talking about the different interpretations of vampires, there are, like I said, there's the Stephanie Meyer and Rice romanticized version. There's the Thirty Days of Night. Bright Night style, big, gory, scary monster vampires. Which I um, I liked Fifty Shades of of uh, not Fifty Shades. <laughs> <laughs> I I I like. Can you do me a favor? Can you isolate the audio of you saying I like Fifty Shades of Grey? No, it's I was just... about to say I liked Fifty Shades of Night, but you know, um, <laughs> I was anyway. I like that one. It and I really enjoyed the graphic novel before it became the movie, and I actually enjoyed the movie. I didn't oh, think yeah, it was great. Right, I didn't right. think it was great, but I, you know, I liked it enough. Okay, 
So when it comes to these classic monsters, vampires, werewolves, zombies, whatever, my personal favorite is the zombie. I like the idea of the shambling corpse. Typically, zombie films are very gory because you there's a lot of uh, bodily dismemberment. There's a lot of cranial <laughs> blunt trauma. Um, I like a big gory monster. And the vampire is one of the few monsters that kind of goes back and forth between sexy and grotesque. Even werewolves where you have the you have a werewolf that might be debonair and sexy in the daytime and then turn into this bloodthirsty beast at the full moon or or what have you. A show that had a mix actually had both of those it was uh, Hemlock Grove had a couple, I think three seasons and it had the kind of grimy, sexy werewolf um, that would end up the bad boy that would end up turning into a werewolf. Uh, then I had the uh, debonair posh vampire. As much as I love Eli Roth, um, I know he gets kind of a bad rap, but I think he's a good dude. I, I never watched Hemlock Grove. The um, first two seasons were great. The third season was a complete letdown. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, True Blood introduced vampire or uh, werewolves as well, didn't it? Uh, it had werewolves on. I don't know if it introduced them, but oh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah. No, it, uh, um, it it had a uh, Joe Maganello played a werewolf. Yeah, yeah. big sexy man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of Fifty Shades of Grey, you ever watched the Magic Mike films? No, no, I did not. Oh. Okay, well then we'll uh, we'll not go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Okay, so they're really not that bad. Um, that's about all I have for vampires in general. So I want to go through a top 10 vampire movie list that I have here. Now, I am very, I'm a noob when it comes to vampire films. I've seen a lot. You, like you said in the beginning, you're late to the vampire party. I am. And it wasn't until the past maybe three or four years that I read Bram Stoker's Dracula, that I watched the 1931 Todd Browning, Bella Lugosi Dracula, that I really got into the vampire mythos. So I'm a little late to the party. And when I did this top 10 list, I wanted to avoid films that had a vampire in it. So like, for example, one of my all time favorite movies is Monster Squad. And it has a Dracula figure. But I did not include that in my top 10 here because Monster Squad, to me, is not a quote-unquote vampire movie. You see okay. what I'm saying? No, I got you. I got you. Let's, uh, let's knock out this list. Let's do it. Okay. And if you have, before I go into the top 10, do you have any particular vampire movies that you really, that you really enjoy or ones that you want to bring up now oh i mean i've uh i've loved interview with the vampire since i first saw it i know the book is quite different i actually would really like to invest time and energy but i just don't have either one of those anymore um into uh the books you know will i get around to it sure probably not i i thought uh dracula 2000 was actually a fun movie i didn't think it was a great movie really enjoyed all the blades actually uh just and part of that's because i know the comic character and all uh, was the third one a good movie? No, it really wasn't. But Ryan Reynolds was a good time in it. 
and uh natasha leone was in it and she's uh she's always a favorite of mine so you know most people know her from american pie but uh russian doll is also a great series on netflix you should check it out but um yeah i, I you know i've never been a big vampire fan like i like the ones that are good i don't like the ones that are not good let's put it that way and, and, and I agree 100%. And when I made this top 10 list, I I have seen the first three Blade films, and I do like a lot about them. And of course, part three is kind of shitty, but Ryan Reynolds is a lot of fun, so I, I do like that one. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that's another one that... I've seen, but I'm not super familiar with. When I did my top 10 list here, I tried to stick more closely to horror and a little less action and fantasy. And well, see, the, va- the vampire movies easily go into the other territories. And so, you know, I, I, I get sticking to the horror section of it, but, you know, if I were really going to put together a list of it, it would involve ones that are a little bit more funny. Like I actually forgot about Buffy, the vampire slayer and, Right. uh, The movie, you know, of course, the TV show, it was fine. I didn't really get into it too much, but, you know, anyway. Like, when I was doing research into it, and I was like, okay, uh, I can think of a handful of vampire movies that I really, really like. What what are some other ones that people associate with vampire films? And I saw people putting, like, Hotel Transylvania, and, uh, like I said earlier, Monster Squad. And to me, those aren't quote unquote vampire movies nope they're not nope. vampire movies they're no, they're it, just they're movies that have a vampire in them exactly so i try to to kind of narrow the scope my list, yes into 10 quote-unquote vampire movies that i think are really really good and again this is not a top 10 of all time this is just a top 10 of that the handful of vampire movies that i have seen so as I go through this, please, by all means, interject. Tell me if you've seen it, if you haven't seen it, you like it, you don't like it, whatever. Okay. Um, I would be more than 10, happy to. Go on. Okay, good. Good. Number 10, Fright Night. Have you ever seen that one? It's been a long time. I actually saw the remake not too long ago. It's not terrible. So I've never seen the remake, but I do like Colin Farrell, and I've heard that it is not bad. It takes a lot from the original and kind of interjects a little bit of the Stephanie Meyer modern vampire mythos into it. But the original from 1985 is directed by Tom Holland, uh, same director as Child's Play. He I was going to say, not, not Spider-Man, Tom Holland. No, no, not that Tom Holland. Yeah. But he directed Child's Play. He directed a lot of Tales from the Crypt episodes. It has a really cool, if you're familiar with the old horror movie midnight movie host kind of thing like uh Svengoli and those kind of guys there's a little bit of that thrown in it's pretty cool and that actually has a little bit of both the grotesque monster vampire and the more debonair suave vampire so yeah that's a little bit about number nine the lost boys oh it's a great movie it's a great movie yes actually um I am going to call out another podcast here. Uh, the Confused Breakfast actually did a whole Lost Boys episode, and they talked shit about Cry Little Sister, the song, the main song from that movie. It's <laughs> yeah, such a yeah. damn good song. But anyway, 
uh, you know, Lost Boys, great movie, great movie now, maybe not so much, but there are things about it just don't make sense. But overall, I, I love that movie, and I think part of the reason why I like that movie is because of the nostalgia of it. Well, I will say, Kiefer Sutherland, uh, both Corey's, and easily the absolute best saxophone in any vampire film ever made. Uh, sexy sax man. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the, uh, the internet video that went crazy with uh, the sax man playing uh, uh, Careless Whispers got nothing on pro wrestler sax player from Lost Boys. Number eight. Let's go. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold oh, on, hold okay. On. Sorry. He was a pro wrestler? I don't know, but he looked like it. I don't know if he actually was. <laughs> Number eight, Horror of Dracula. Have you ever seen this one? Nope. So this is the first Hammer Films uh, Dracula film starring Christopher Lee. Okay. I like Hammer Films, and I like Christopher Lee, of course. Um, so yeah, I'll probably end up checking it out at some point. Anything with Christopher Lee makes me happy. He is a, he's one of those guys that if it's a small role, if it's a big role, whatever it is, he is 100% into it. Yeah. He doesn't half-ass anything. Even that metal album he did. No, no, he, he loves it. My daughter recently discovered Corpse Bride and I forgot that he was the priest in that. And it's a very small role, but he is one. 100% into it. And I have brought this up on is for podcasts. I brought this up on monsters, midnight musings, but there are a few Christopher Lee, uh, read novels that you can find on Spotify and Amazon music. Please, please listen to him. He reads Dracula. He reads Frankenstein. He really, he reads, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. His voice is beautiful. I could sit here for an hour talking about how much I love Chris. I Lee. think I think we got how much you like Christopher Lee because you're beating the desk with like okay, at the you, end of every you. sentence. <laughs> yes, I am I am punching my laptop. Okay. Number 7, Ram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. From 19 I, 1992, the Francis Ford Coppola film. Yeah, I've seen it. Uh to be completely honest, I have gone back and watched that movie many times over the years. I think it's an incredibly boring movie, although Gary Oldman does a <laughs> fantastic job of playing Dracula. One of the things that throws me off of it uh, is uh, Keanu Reeves' terrible British accent. Oh, God. Okay. I love the um, recent renaissance on Keanu Reeves. People seem to be really like in his corner between John Wick and the Matrix films and stuff. But there was a period in time where Keanu Reeves was kind of like a cardboard cutout. Like he was absolutely. not a legitimate actor. Oh, absolutely. I'm a little late to the party on this one. Uh, I remember my parents renting it from like Blockbuster when it first came out and they both liked it. And uh, I was 92. I was seven years old. I was a little young to see it. But as I've gotten older and I've gone back and watched it, it's pretty cool. It is a fairly accurate adaptation to the novel, uh, somewhat to its own detriment. Yep. Um, I will applaud it for its visual effects. They do a lot of in-camera effects yeah, that they are... Do. That are pretty damn neat that they did. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm not saying they're like stand the test of time necessarily, but for 1992, they are fantastic. For anybody that's unfamiliar, Francis Ford Coppola is one of the, I mean, what top 25 directors of all time. I'm going to strongly disagree with you on that, but uh, <laughs> there's many people that would disagree okay. with me on that. So, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, top 50. I think Francis Ford Coppola is like the Beatles. Really, really good at what he did. Made a great impact, but is uh, um, overinflated, overbloated, um, overhyped. Um, love the Beatles, love them, but I think they're given way too much credit. I will, I will come through this screen and strangle you. Okay. Um. Um. I' not going to apologize for my opinion. <laughs> as far as Francis Ford Coppola goes, he's he's got uh, a pedigree under his belt, so to speak. And uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula is pretty interesting. If you, I would highly recommend reading the novel first and then watching the film and seeing how well they try to adapt it. Uh, it's not a perfect film, but it's pretty cool. Okay, number six, Let the Right One In. Have you ever seen this? Yeah, a great movie. I don't have anything bad to say about it. I don't have a lot to add on that one. I just, it's a great movie. Let the Right One In is a little bit of a sleeper film, I think. I don't know if it's as well-known as some of these other films. It is a Swedish film. Uh, but it came out in 2008. And it is one of those movies that's a little bit of everything. It's kind of a coming-of-age story. It's kind of a young romance film. It's been a long time since I've seen it. But I remember feeling a wealth of emotions when I watched it. I was I was sad. I was happy. I was depressed. I was repulsed. It's phenomenal film. It is absolutely fantastic. I would highly highly recommend. Oh yeah, it's a great movie. I I've, I've actually uh, referred to other people. They get it confused with the movie Let the Right Ones In, but you know. Anyway, there's Let the Right One In, and then there's Let Me In, and then oh. Let the Right Ones In. Um, There's a lot of letting in of things that probably shouldn't get in, but you know, right. Which we didn't really touch on, but one of the the mythos of vampires is they have to be invited in. They can't right. just come into your home, um, which is where that, that title comes from. The American remake is not terrible. It's, it's really not, but it's not nearly as good as the original let the right one in. Okay. Number five, the classic Nosferatu from 1922, the silent film. We talked about it. I haven't seen all yes. of it. You know, I'll, I may at some point, but I'll probably watch the remake, honestly. So, yes, I cannot wait to see the remake. The original is fine. It's a silent film from the 20s. So it, was, it it is what it is. It's cool for what it was at the time. By today's standards, it's slow. It's kind of dull, but Max Shrek as Nosferatu is pretty cool. The similarities to the novel Bram Stoker's Dracula is very apparent. It's good. It, it's really good. Uh, seek out the original, not the color-treated version. Right. That one is not that. Number four, Dracula's Daughter from 1936. And I have talked about this one before on previous episodes. This was the direct sequel to the original 1931 Dracula. And I don't think a lot of people have seen this. 
but it is so good and so underrated. It came out in 1936. Think about the time and the landscape of the culture in 1936, okay? Mm -hmm. It had lesbian sexual undertones. It had these vulgar displays of violence. It is a very underrated film. Again, when we talk about these movies from the start, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, there is a certain level of understanding you have to have. Like, when I say that there are lesbian undertones, I don't mean the same as a film made in the past 10 years. Obviously, it's a little different when you're talking about films from the 30s. But what it tried to do, God near 100 years ago, <laughs> was very, very ahead of its time. Gloria Holden, who plays Count Valeskis, uh, Zaleskis, or however you pronounce her name, she is phenomenal. She is, her eyes are just absolutely captivating. If you've never even heard of this one, I would recommend it. Okay. I, you've recommended that one to me several times over the years, but uh, anyway. And you still haven't watched it, have you? Nope. It's like one hour long. Just watch it. Okay. <laughs> okay, thank you. Good answer. Um, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to argue over that one. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, number three, uh, we already talked about it a little bit. Last Man on Earth uh, from 1964, mm -hmm. starring Vincent Price, based on the Richard Matheson novel. I've read the book. I've seen the movie. I uh, this is interesting because it was a it was a huge inspiration on. George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, I've seen uh, not the first one, but not the Vincent Price one, but I've, saw, I've seen the other two. Yeah, it came out in 64. Night of the Living Dead came out in 68. Change the word vampires to ghouls or zombies, whatever you want to call them. It's kind of the same movie. Vincent Price does a great job. He's very engaging. It's very entertaining. Great movie. Number two, and I think you'll have a little something to say about this one. Number two, From Dusk Till Dawn. Fantastic movie. Uh, just fantastic movie. It's uh, I've seen it more times than I can count, and I'll watch it more times as I go on. It's just, it's great. I've, I've got a lot to say about that, but an episode on From Dusk Till Dawn may be coming up next season. Just saying. Oh, God, I'd love it. I'd love it. From Dust Till Dawn is an absolute masterclass. For anybody that doesn't know, and we won't get deep into this because as Danger has hinted, maybe we'll get more into it later. Um, it's written by Quentin Tarantino. It is directed by Robert Rodriguez. It is a little bit of a heist movie. It's a little bit of an Evil Dead homage. It is fantastic. Yep. I absolutely love this movie. It's kind of like two movies in one. The first half and the second half are kind of different movies, but both are perfect. I, I love this movie. It is so much fun. Every time I watch it, I am 100% invested. Love it. Everything about it, I love. Mm -hmm. 
now the big number one. What what is your big number one vampire movie? Anybody who has listened to this show more than once knows I am a sucker for a classic. And for me, 1931 Dracula starring Bella Lugosi and Dwight Fry, directed by Todd Browning, is perfect. There's nothing about this movie I would change. It's one of the first quote-unquote horror films with sound. There's nothing funny about it. There's nothing lighthearted about it. It is taken 100% seriously. Bella Lugosi's portrayal of Dracula is historic. It's monumental. When people dress as Dracula for Halloween, they are doing a Bella Lugosi impression, whether they know it or not. Mm-hmm. And to give credit where credit is due, Dwight Fry as Renfield is possibly my absolute favorite supporting character in all of the Universal Monster kingdom and and in my top 10 of all time he is unhinged he is scary he's funny uh dwight fry is a treasure and he he pops up in a lot of these universal films him as renfield is great but the 1931 original dracula is just it's perfect i i I can't i can't say anything bad about it everything about it i love my dad showed me that when I was a kid, but it's been since then since I've watched it. So, you know, and and of course, it's it's about an hour and ten minutes long. Films made in the nineteen thirties are a lot different than movies made in the twenties or the the two thousands. There's a little bit to to deal with there, mm-hmm. and if you're not on board, I understand. But the sheer atmosphere and the visuals and the performances. I love it. I love every minute of that movie. I absolutely love it. Okay. So that is Monsters Top 10. I don't actually have a top 10 vampire movies, but the one recommendation I will make is there is a comic uh, just called Vamp. It's about vampires in Las Vegas. Fantastic. Fantastic. And there's also a film called Vamp, and I it, don't know if there's... It, it, it's not fantastic. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. There's also I, heard there, there's also okay. uh, uh, vampires in Vegas with Tony Todd, and that's not fantastic either. Tony Todd is one of those guys that is like so much better than the stuff he's been in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is a theatrical actor with a booming voice and a commanding presence, and he does a whole lot of shit just for a paycheck. <laughs> yep. Yep. He's kind of like Nicolas Cage, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> Yes, that guy owes a lot back taxes. (laughs) Yeah, that's why he does so many movies. But anyway, so your top 10 list. Cool. Yes. Cool. Okay, thank you. Yeah, cool. But I want to ask you a question. Within all of your vampire uh, deep dive, did you ever find out what a vampire's favorite drink is? No, I don't think I did. It's a Bloody Mary. Good answer. Yep. Um, I don't think I have a single dad joke. <laughs> I forgot to do some research. And so, uh, where, what part of the world was it that vampires uh, originated in, uh, that Bram Stoker was from? He's from Not Europe. America? Yeah, he's yeah from, Europe, yeah, he's from, that's the word. Do you know why there were vampire stories that came from Europe 
and not from Africa? Why? Because they bless the rains down in Africa. Don't love that. <laughs> All right. And my last one. Do you know why vampires always seem to be sick? Why? Because they're always coughing. I want I want to insult you, but I did very little preparation for dad jokes. So I have no rebuttal. It's fine. It's <laughs> fine. And with that, I'm out. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Thank you for joining us for another what's the word here? Episode. Where, where we, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say like scary or nope. intriguing, but no, I guess yeah. No. Nope. I, I will say we did tell stars that we were gonna stay on topic and we completely lied. <laughs> oh, I don't know. We stayed on we stayed on topic. We just kept we getting never, back to it. Okay, but we never once brought up the Clintons. We didn't. We didn't. So, <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to us. Please uh, check out our Facebook, Danger and Sarge, uh, on, on Facebook, obviously. And it's got the ampersand, the, the squiggly and thing. Uh, or shoot us an email and give us a suggestion of what you would like to hear on the Is For podcast, a topic that yes, you'd like for yes, us to discover yes. or cover um, at dangerandsarge uh, at gmail.com. And, uh, yes, please, please email us. I want to interact with you guys. I want to respond back to emails and talk to you. That would be awesome. And if there is something you want us to cover and you have a reason why you want us to cover it, please let us know because, uh, you know, Monster and I, we're, we're, you know, it's hard coming up with all these topics all the time. And a lot of times it's a letter that we, you know, we have to come up with a topic for and we're sitting here going, I can't do it. I can't think of anything. And then it's like, oh, it's the most obvious thing. Like season one, I was really struggling with E and then, oh, wait, E.T. Okay, that makes sense. You know, uh, those those things happen. But, you know. Or or like season one when you were really struggling with the letter B and you did Back to the Future. Yeah, but it, I did more time travel than Back to the Future. So uh, <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, if you have a suggestion, please shoot it our way. Uh, check us out on uh, Twitter, Danger and Sarge. Instagram, same thing. Shoot us a message somewhere and let us know at least what you think about what we're doing. You know, give us a, a review on uh, on yes. Spotify or wherever. I don't know. Do good things for us. <laughs> we want to do this for a living instead of work. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so, all right. Well, monster that uh, that closes. V is for vampire. We're gonna close the coffin. <laughs> but don't. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to us. Ramble. Later. Ah. It's over. Done. Done.